Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you're looking to try some of the yummy food that we're talking about or you're hungry right now, open up your DoorDash app and uh, order away. So with that being said, I have with us today... From North Carolina, Nick Ward of Bricks Wood Fired Pizza. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm I I I love it, and I we we've already talked a little, and I've already done some research, and I, I love your background. So it's a very interesting story that you have, obviously, and your background and how you got into food. So I think one of the things I just want to talk about is let's start from the beginning. You know, where, how'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? And, and sort of what was your life path to, to becoming an entrepreneur in the food space? So I was born in Denver, Colorado, spent like three years there and then moved to California and spent the majority of my life in California, uh, San Jose, California and Modesto, California. And until then I went to, um, I joined the air force when I was 21 so in 2000, so, so basically my entire life was in Northern California. And then in 2000, I joined the, the Air Force and, um, and just went away and, and got to work on fighter jets for 20 years and, uh, and then ended up here in North Carolina. So um, when I joined the military, like we traveled around a lot, but I was here in North Carolina from 2004 to 2012 and then went to Korea and then went back to California for three years and then went to Japan and um, and when we were stationed in Japan at Misawa Air Base, it's like at the northern end of Honshu, of the island of Han, the main island of Honshu, right outside the gate of Misawa Air Base. There's this little Neapolitan pizza place, um, and the guy that owns it, like studied in in Italy, um, and was a, a classically trained pizziolo, and uh, and we fell in love with Neapolitan pizza, and then. Um, that's kind of where the whole thing started. And, um, my wife bought me a book, uh, called the, uh, I wrote it down mastering pizza by Mark Viteri or Vetri and, um, and, uh, uh, a little pizza oven for our backyard. And, and that's it. That's where it all started, man. So I love this. This is how it always, this is this one of the entrepreneur things that all of a sudden there's something that's always been lying there that's sparked. So you get a pizza oven, you, you've got it, the, the, you've got this business, you've got now an inkling. So you come back to North Carolina, like, how do you, you know, how do you decide that you're going to do something with this pizza oven? How do you decide that, you know, that it's going to become a business? Because at now it, it's almost, I don't know if you always intended to start a business, but it feels like it started off as maybe something that, oh, this will be fun. This is a good hobby for you to do is make pizza in the backyard. Or am I wrong? Was there always with the intent of starting a business? Uh, well, um, like, yes, to both. You know, um, it's really, really weird. For 20 years, um, I knew where I had to be and I knew what I had to do. And I knew... Um, exactly what my purpose was and exactly what my mission was. And then I retired and I went to work in civilian aviation for a year and got my airframe and power plant license. Um, and then was like, this is crazy. I don't need part of this and came back on base as a contractor in the 336 fighter squadron and, uh, and worked with the operation side, the pilot side of, 
uh, fighter jets. Um, and so uh, that whole time I was cooking pizza in this little Baker stone pizza oven. And then when I went to work in the three thirty sixth, um, they deployed and the guys that were left, like it was pretty slow when they deployed, right? Cause most of the squadron left and then went to Europe. Um, so I would bring my pizza oven in and I would make like 20 dough balls at home and just cook for the guys because that's like, I've always really just enjoyed cooking for my friends. And, um, and I don't know if you've ever met a fighter pilot, but they're, uh, historically really about themselves. Um, uh, and a lot of my close friends are fighter pilots, but they're, yeah. you know, they're ego, you know, ego driven and, and for a purpose. Um, but the one thing that fighter pilots are really, 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 really good at is giving feedback. Because every time that they fly a jet, they have, you know, from a one to four hour long debrief and they go through every second of the flight. So they have the ability to really critique you and show your strengths and weaknesses. And so that's what I would do. I'd come in and I would make pizza for the guys and um, and I would ask them for feedback and they would give it to me um, without any silver lining or without like as bluntly as they could. Um, and it just made our pizza better. So, um, really bricks wood fire pizza company was born in a fighter squadron and, um, through myself and my wife helped out bricks. My name is Nick. My wife's name is Brittany and bricks is really Brittany and Nick's smashed together. Um, from like 2005 or two, you know, the early two thousands when there was like celebrity names, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like whatever, like Jennifer and whatever. Yeah, Benifer, that yeah. was the one I was looking for. Yep. So uh, it's really got nothing to do with the pizza ovens or how we cook pizza. It's really just Brittany and Nick's. So, um, and that when I retired again, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and I, I mean, for that matter, I still am. Um, and my wife was always like, if you want to start a business, I'm a hundred percent in with a food truck. So like, we just started looking at it and, um, like, looking at peeling back the layers and what's this going to take and how much is this going to cost and what are our options? I had a truck already. So I was like, all right, we'll do a trailer. Um, I had a 2006 F-350 and like this thing can certainly pull it. So we decided on a trailer and, um, and found a trailer and found an oven and, you know, put it all together and start and send it to a guy that like outfitted the trailer and did all that. And then, uh, and we started and, um, and it is absolutely humbling like that, those first couple of months, man, when you realize, holy shit, I don't know anything, you know, like if you think you're ready to do battle and you like, you don't know anything. So, um, that was kind of the most fun part was to just figure it out as we went, knowing that like, I knew what I didn't know. And I, but I wasn't afraid of that. Like I was totally fine with just failing over and over again and just making, as long as I didn't make the same mistake twice, I didn't care. Like we can fail forward. And, um, and learn lessons and just become better. And that's, that's kind of what we've done. So um, talk to me about your relationship with your wife. And, and, you know, before you're sort of in the military and life this way, and she's like, okay, let's do a food trailer, which is awesome encouragement. How, how'd you guys find the food trailer? How'd you develop the concept? How'd you figure out a menu? Like sort of what were the steps? And I think it's interesting because you know, there's a, a couple dynamic there, a relationship dynamic that a lot of people can't get through to even start the business or get the trailer. So do you mind talking about that a little bit? No. So we, she said that, uh, like I said, of everything, she would, she would be the most fine with, with a food truck. 
and we just had to figure out what. So I was becoming, you know, good at, at being a backyard pizza cook. Um, and you know, all of our recipes kind of came from, from mastering pizza. Um, and we, we had a good like dough recipe and then, um, and we always, we also make a really good focaccia. Um, I, I adore focaccia almost more than I adore pizza, but, um, and so we just did it together and pizza is not really her thing. So she just kind of let me run with it. And then when it came time to, to do the food truck, we looked all over the place on like used vending and usefoodtrucks.com and trying to figure this out. And then about 40 minutes away from us in Benson, North Carolina, there's a company called Dynamite Trailers. And we went there a couple times and just really didn't find what we wanted. And, um, and then one day we, like, we went and saw the, the trailer that we have now. And it's like a, it's a 24 foot trailer, 12 feet of it is enclosed and 12 feet of it is a back porch. Excuse me. And we kind of like the, the door to the enclosed part is from the porch. So I was like, this is never going to work, blah, blah, blah. And then one day, like, we just had this epiphany that the ovens can be on the porch. So um, we talked to the guy that outfits the trailer. I bought an oven from uh, Belforno, an, an oven kit. Um, and that lasted, it didn't last long. Um, just because we were kind of unprepared for, um, we didn't mount it to the trailer correctly. So this beautiful pizza oven that we had kind of just disintegrated in three weeks. And, uh, and I got to pull 6,000 bucks worth of pizza oven off my trailer and replace it with two Gosney domes, which was the biggest blessing that I've had so far is the decision to, to go with those Gosney domes. I can't recommend them enough because they, they weigh nothing. They run on propane. Um, but anyway, all, all of these decisions were made with my wife and we kind of talked through all of them and she, the two things that we have in our corner is number one, that I have a retirement. So all of our, you know, my retirement pays our mortgage. It pays all of our bills. So I don't need to, to have a job that pays me because we're covered in that regard. And my wife also has a job still in the, she's a government employee, um, in another fighter squadron, in a three, three, fourth fighter squadron. So we have that income coming in to like sustain us and we have a seven-year-old daughter. So um, when we, when I wrote the business plan, I kind of laid out who was going to do what and the responsibilities and, and we stuck to that. And like Brittany gets the final say on every cent that we spend. Um, and I try really hard, even though Brittany doesn't work the food truck every day, I try really, really hard to keep her involved in this. And when I asked her if she wanted to be on this podcast, Podcasts are just not our thing. Um, so, and she not felt yet. like this was not yet, not yet. The, the goal is we're working towards that to get her to be able to leave her job. Um, and we're trying, to, we're looking actually to expand the summer into a brick and mortar. And, um, and that she will have to be a part of. So, cause I absolutely can't do that myself. So that's how it, the dynamic is difficult for couples. It's difficult for us, but we just talk, we just talk it through. And it may, it may take a moment where we separate and like, you know, to pardon the term, to kind of unfuck ourselves and then come back and work through the thing. I like this a lot because if I actually connect the pieces, working with the fighter pilots, um, what you guys are doing, your relationship, the Air Force um, or military in general, there's not a lot of room for dishonesty or or not having a conversation, I should say. The feedback always has to be straightforward. It has to be direct and it has to be um, clearly communicated. And I think just even if you're not in the military, like 
understanding those things. Are, are you having an honest conversation? Um, are you have is it clearly being stated? And do both parties understand what's trying to be done here or the idea so they can actually have an argument or discussion about it, not argue over it? Um, I was referring to argument and like a not yelling term, but discussion Correct. term, but Disagree. everyone always misunderstands yeah. what I'm saying. And, um, but either way, they can have a discussion about it. So I think that that's really important. Um, okay, so once you go into the trailer, like how, how I mean, how'd you find business? How'd you pursue um, serving pizzas? You know, talk to me a little bit about that because you've taken on a big adventure here. You obviously needed a truck and maybe you already had one if you had to buy one. That's an, you know, an interesting part because you've made that commitment too. But sort of how did you go about doing this? How'd you go about finding business? How'd you go about growing your business? We, we got really the two, two things that helped us significantly is, uh, there's a local brewery in town called Goldsboro Brew Works and it's owned by two, uh, two guys who were in the air force with me. Uh, we, those of us that fit the term wrenches for a living, we call ourselves maintainers. So they're, they're two maintainers that did it for like six years. They opened up a, a tap room um, and they helped me out significantly. Like they gave me advice and they told me like what other food trucks get and what they like and they don't like about other food trucks and um, and the way that other food trucks run their business and, and what would make my business stand out. So like I got a little bit of mentorship from these guys that are um, they've been in business like at the time it was six years um, and have one of the most successful tap rooms in our town, especially in our little downtown that we have. And um, so they were number, advantage number one and, and advantage number two is just the air force base. So I had to go through the army air force exchange service to like get permission to sell on Seymour Johnson air force base. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to specifically sell to my friends on the fly line because nobody cares about wrench turners. You know what I mean? Um, and if you've ever, and people like to argue this and my immediate response is, Name one attribute to anybody that, that was on the flight line during Top Gun. Tell me something about one person from the ground crew from Top Gun, and I, like I will stand down. But uh, but I I do. I have a, actually have another company called American Maintainer, and we do a podcast that is riddled with profanity, um, and we just talk talk through stories of these I guys. So um, we got to go to the flight line. And sell pizzas. It's the only time I ever give a discount is on the ramp to those guys um, because I know how bad their life sucks. Um, and then going to like the the exchange. So we that's kind of where we started. And then we grew through breweries. You know, our bread and butter in eastern North Carolina for a food truck is tap rooms. And um, so we've kind of established ourselves around. And then my former employer, when I first got out in Kinston, North Carolina, is a private airline and they invited us out to sell lunch and it just our biggest the way that we've grown the most is through word of mouth we tried everything else you know i've tried spending money on advertising and we do social media but like we're the only ones that make neapolitan pizza in wayne county north carolina and um because here new york style is it you know what i mean everybody that is the preferred style around here is new york style and there there is no neapolitan pizza so uh, those are the two things that really helped us get started. 
Um, I'm going to ask back on the the wrenches. I think you was the term used, or the maintainers. Um, I'm going to go back to a question on that. But how do you come up with the menu? Like, what are your most popular pizzas? Um, and explain what the difference is between a New York pizza, for example, and a wood fired pizza. So our our menu started with the the brick is our signature pizza, and it's just a fancy meat lovers. But when we were in Japan that Neapolitan restaurant that we used to go to all the time, cut their pepperoni into sticks. So, um, cause like for like a, a Diavolo, a spicy pepperoni was cut into st- to, oh, sticks. We call it matchstick pepperoni cause we didn't know a better term. Um, and that is kind of the, the base for everything. So our brick pizza has, um, matchstick pepperoni, matchstick salami, and then we thin slice prosciutto and then fresh mozzarella on top. And that's it. It's a very simple, elegant pizza. And then we kind of built off of those three ingredients. Like, okay, what can we do? Obviously, we need to have a margarita because that's kind of the standard for uh, all Neapolitan pizza. And then we need to have... um, When I was in the fighter squadron, there was a guy that asked me for like a Hawaiian pizza. And I was like, bro, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. I'm sorry. And he's like, it absolutely does. And we got into this argument. So I was... I made one for him with just like dull crushed pineapple and prosciutto and he was like this is amazing and i ate it and it was amazing so we added that however because i'm a maintainer and my favorite thing like talking shit is my love language um i looked up the italian word for blasphemy so our hawaiian pizza is the prosciutto bestemia which literally translates to ham and blasphemy in italian and it's and it's great and it's like i don't mean any disrespect by it it's just the way that we you know it's my menu and and i'm just joking around Anyway, so that, and we kind of built our our menu off of like those four things because we have a small, we have a, a finite num- amount of space in our trailer and we only have a 36-inch prep table. So uh, we needed to keep things simple. We added, um, I started looking at like a trend for hot honey. I see hot honey everywhere. And I was like, what would hot honey go with? And I said, salami, um, prosciutto, and pesto and then like a hot honey and we made what's called the sweet and salty stinger and they get the like the saltiness from the salami and the saltiness especially from the prosciutto and then the sweet spicy flavor from the hot honey and then like a fresh kick from the basil makes a spectacular pizza um that is unlike anything else that is sold around here so um we just kind of experimented and then my wife made uh the we have the triple b it's called the bougie basic brick but um, she created her own pizza and we've just like, we've really worked on the menu together. Um, and she'll have an idea and we'll try it. And, and if it sticks, then we'll put it on the menu. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I love this. What's your, what's the most popular one? Is it one of the, is it the meat lover and what's it your is, favorite pizza? The brick is by far our most popular pizza. Um, and my favorite is, is the brick. Um, I, you know, I like to add like a little balsamic and onions to it, you know what I mean? Or jalapenos, it just depends. But the brick is by far the, the staple from for our business. Um, let's go. I want to, I love this because your background, you said you loved cooking for everyone before. Before it was pizza, I mean, did you just cook whatever and cook for people? Or was there things that you were attracted to before pizza? We made barbecue. You know, uh, I mean, so when you turn 40 in the United States, you either start smoking meat or you start making beer. And I started smoking meat. So, um, we, 
uh, you know, I've been smoking meat forever and that's what we used to do in, in my, in our culture on the flight line, like on down days, if a good leadership team will just go find a smoker, make a bunch of meat for everyone. And then, you know, take a break and everybody will sit down and eat together. Cause that almost never happens. The flight line is a crazy, crazy place and it's always on fire. Um, and and that's what I was into before, but that's what kind of like led me to the satisfaction of cooking for my friends was being able to, to smoke meat. Because <clears throat> I think like your, I don't know, your background and your interest in food, it's translated a lot into these pizzas and the uniqueness in them and the ideas. And I mean, there's been influences. We're all influenced. You know, everyone's like, it's never an original idea. It's a culmination of ideas that you pull together and then are able to for original ones like, the iPod and or an iPhone is like one of the greatest device inventions ever, but it was really just pulling together different things that Steve Jobs was able to do to create the iPhone. So I think that that's a lot of what's going on here. We've got pizza and we've got all these ingredients and influence that's coming together. So that being said, what's the difference between a New York pizza um, that you were referring to and a wood fire pizza? So New York pizza uses like a, like a, a like a, a tr- more traditional flour. Um, like we use all trumps. We have transitioned. I went to, I, I knew that I didn't know a lot, so I needed to know stuff. So I, I went actually went to pizza university in Beltsville, Maryland and spent three days um, where they like, they just teach you how to make New York style and also Neo, also Neapolitan style. And uh, Giulio Adriani uh, was our instructor and he kind of walked us through all of that. So, New York style is, is cooked at a lower temperature at like 400, 500 degrees and is a more traditional like American flour. And then Neapolitan um, is a finer double lot. We use double lot flour, like double zero ground, super fine Italian flour. And also to make Neo Neapolitan, we also make um, like use some of the traditional uh, all Trump's flour and our pizza cooks around 800 between 800 750 and 850 just depending on how busy we are um and how how steady we can keep the ovens but our pizza cooks best right at 800 degrees so when we're at full potato like if i have a full staff we can cook um we're getting faster every month and right now we're at like 70 pizzas an hour that we can cook so whereas new york is a lot larger it's a lot crispier um and it's a lot it takes more time to cook, um, but it's more of a traditional pizza. I love this. So I'm going to go back to you refer to maintainers and wrenches and, and how crazy the flight line is um, for, I think that's the way you, the word you used. It's funny because I was, I've been in, influenced by airline catering. So a flight line to me is the mass production of food to make it on the airplane in the little amount of time you have to get it on the plane and make sure it's still fresh by the time everyone tries it within, you know, half hour or 30 minutes of taking off in the air. So that's what I think of, but it's that same chaos situation. You don't want to miss a plane because if the plane's late, you know, you start losing money because they fine you for holding up the plane because the food's not on there. So 
the this is sort of what I'm thinking, but I, I, explain to me what you mean and what's the chaos look like? Just because I want the audience to be able to like visualize it if they close their eyes. Like what is like we all see Top Tom Cruise go up in the you referred to Top Gun, so I'm going to hold on to it. Tom Cruise go up and fight everyone, but it's not just that plane just doesn't magically appear and it's ready to go and it doesn't come to the ground and then it's ready to turn back out and go. Will you explain to me what you mean by the chaos of the flight line? Sure. So. Or busyness. I don't think it was chaos. I think it's controlled chaos, I guess, in a way. It, it, it is absolutely controlled chaos, but it is for sure chaos. So every morning uh, in a typical fighter squadron in the United States Air Force, we put up, say, 10 jets, right? And we'll fly what's called like a 10-8 for that day. So we'll fly 10 jets. We'll, we'll take off and go for like an hour and a half sortie. They'll do a training sortie. They'll land. And then we'll do what's called turn them. And then they'll be on the ground for three hours. And we have three hours to gas them, fix them if they're broke. You know, the, the crew chiefs do an inspection to make sure that they're still safe to fly and they go back up. And then when they, they'll go back up for another, say, hour and a half sortie and they'll come down. And, um, and when they land now, the swing shift guys, they're like the next shift, they'll fix everything. They'll do a th- more thorough inspection of the jets and then start fixing what's wrong. They'll look for things to fix that are broken <clears throat> that were not reported by the air crew. And then they will, um, you know, do specific um, general scheduled maintenance every single day. You know, like the tires have to be, you know, uh, inspected and they got to make sure that there's enough air in the tires. and We got to make sure there's enough gas in the jets. And um, and then in the middle of the night, they start prepping them to do final inspections to make sure that they're safe to fly again. And on that turn time between the first and the second go, it is absolute madness. And when we started this business, I went to a couple of friends that were in the food business and, and everybody kind of looked at me like I had no business in the space because they would, they would ask me, do you have any food service experience? And I would say no. And they would just immediately like I would get a cold shoulder or they would kind of scoff at me. And in my head, I was like, I can come off this. I can come from the flight line and run a kitchen, but you can't come from a kitchen and run a flight line. Um, and that's and that's the way it is. And, and yeah, the, exactly. the key to to running a flight line and to dealing with that is to know that you have to just take one thing at a time. You know what I mean? Like you can't overload yourself. You can't be 15 places at once. You have to take, you have to immediately learn to prioritize the work that you have, pick the most important, get it done, push it aside, and then do that again and repeat that over and over and over again. And my favorite time to be on the truck is when we are 25 orders deep, and, um, and I feel that pressure on the truck. It's the reason that I started this because it's, it, you know, in food service, it is also oftentimes super chaotic and the ability to stay calm and just press through that and, uh, and get to the end of it is, is something that I really cherish and that I really, really learned from being on fire, so to speak in the air force. I'm going to continue to ask this question and I'm going to ask, I was going to ask this anyway, but I'm going to expand it because you started to answer it for me, but it's the leadership skills, the things that you carry over from the military into your business, um, you know, and maybe in a little more detail because we're talking about standard operating procedures, like as you built your business and as you've developed, what, what are you taking with you? How, I mean, in terms of maintenance, in terms of the trailer, in terms of the checklists, I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think most humans who don't come from a military background or the mass production of food like I do, where we 
basically used, you know, a combination of in-flight catering and military SOP um, tactics to form a mass production of food business and employ people and all that. Could you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I think it's important. I agree. And so we, I worked really hard when we started and still do every single day, excuse me, in standardization. Like we have, we have three employees and I want whoever makes the pizza, which I'm teaching the girls that we have that work for us to, to do the technique of flopping a Neapolitan pizza um, and cooking them um, is difficult. It takes time. So number one, learning how to train people correctly um, because you can't, everybody learns differently, right? So you have to figure out a way to reach them, to get them to get to the desired goal. Number two, um, I want every pizza that comes off my truck to look exactly the same, whether I made it or not. Like we should all make the exact same pizzas because people come and they expect to get the exact same pizza. They expect to get a really good pizza and they expect outstanding customer service. Um, because what's one of the, with regard to customer service, one important difference between restaurants and a food truck is that we get one chance. I get one chance to make you my customer. And if, if, our customer service isn't above and beyond and the, the food experience that you get isn't above and beyond. You're gone forever. A restaurant, you might have a bad experience and then go back, you know, in a few months and go, all right, we'll try them again. But for the most part, food trucks, we don't get that opportunity. So I, I agree with that to, 100%. Just as a side note, I'll let you go on, but I agree with that 100%. Food trucks don't get yeah. the same number of tries as a restaurant for sure. We do not. And I knew that from the beginning and living in the South, people expect to be greeted the moment that they walk up to a window. Um, there's a cheat code to living here. Um, and it is just to treat everybody with the most amount of respect that you can get out of your body. Um, so with, with our, our staff, um, those are the things that like, I, I want them to number one, I want them to come to work and know that I value their time. I want, because I've made a ton of mistakes in the military. I used to think that being angry was the secret and screaming and stuff like that in, in, in the flight line environment, it, it works more than if I yelled at any of the three girls that work for us now, they would just leave. They're, they're not contractu- contractually obligated to be there. They would just bounce. And um, so I want them to know that I respect them and I value their time and I value them as people and especially as employees. Number two, I want them to know that they can trust me with anything that like I'm going to work hard enough to make sure that they have somewhere to go because I don't we don't have a restaurant. So I have to book places for us to go and I have to build our schedule. So they need to trust that I'm going to book enough hours and enough events that they are going to get a a paycheck that is worth working for. And number three, I want them to have a good time. I want them to, to be relaxed and I want to, um, to just have a good time when, and it's really interesting because we got really lucky with the, the three girls that we have. Um, when we're super busy, nobody talks. Like the truck is dead silent. Everybody just knows where they have to be. And we can almost read each other's minds and, and just fill in these little gaps that happen. Uh, when uh, it's slow, we have a great time, you know? So um, that those are the most important things to me with, uh, with our staff and in leadership is to get them to trust me and know that like, I really do care about them. And I really do value that they want to work for me. It means a lot to me. Um, and also, like, I just, 
I want to talk shit and I want to have a good time. Yeah. One of the things that I'm going to touch on a few things. I've noticed the same thing, like um, going from our New York facility in Brooklyn, when we, when we used to do the, the hospitals up in New York city to then opening a facility in Georgia, the respect thing in the time, making sure they're greeted to the minute they walked in the door of our facility. Like it was really bad because in New York, we're used to having people wait. It's just the way it is there. Like they're so busy. Everyone has to take their time. But in Atlanta, that what or Georgia, that wasn't everyone wanted interaction. It was about being polite and respectful. And I, the yelling thing, I totally get that too, because I go, you get high strung environments in California and New York, maybe even Virginia a little bit in our market there. And although they weren't used to it as much either to someone who's used to yelling to someone who's, you know, either played sports or been in the military that's used to like getting things done. And they're not worried about their tone and neither are the people around them as much as everyone's willing to get it done. But then what weirdly happens in both scenarios, the polite or the other way, I think in more of the civilian world, because of the world we live in and people recording conversations, like you can't just yell at anyone anymore. It's just not an acceptable behavior. And I find that even if I do um, every once in a while, like I make sure that it's a, a time that we know that I'm doing it this once now. And I've messed up on this a thousand times in my past. And um, just so everyone knows, because I'm quick tempered, is that it just, it requires patience. And when people get it right, to your point, there's a silence. Everyone just plays their position. It's like everyone's communicating without communicating. And that's a lot to do with standardization, um, getting your processes down, um, making sure that everyone clearly understands their role and the value of that role. And, you know, I've, I've worked with individuals. I've even had individuals that work for me or some that work for me for years down the road that started to forget these things or they get comfortable and they don't maintain it. And it will erode your business. If your employees in, are, aren't working in that way or your team members, I really encourage any entrepreneur listening into this podcast to really look at this. What is standard operating procedures? What are they actually doing? You know, what is actually McDonald's do better than Chick-fil-A? Because if you look at it, McDonald's handles just as much volume of people with less employees, just saying, and they don't have a drive-through line. And I know that's part of the appeal. Everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to get it. It's a false appeal. It just means that while we think they're doing things well, they, they worried more about the food and they worry more about holding employees than actually being process driven. And while they have processes go into the store, you can see the soda stack up on the freaking countertop in Chick-fil-A. It drives me crazy. It's the yeah. thing everyone sees, but you have complete chaos on your counter. And it and in your restaurants all the time. I swear, if it wasn't a fad, I don't even understand how they do business because everyone's like it's the greatest one ever. I'm like it's 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 not controlled chaos. It's chaos in in Chick Fil A and compared to controlled chaos in a McDonald's where it doesn't matter if they're short seven people in their store, they can still figure out how to run a restaurant. And it's the craziest thing to me because. Like a lot of fast food places are suffering right now because they don't see this standardization as essential. But one of the things McDonald's did from day one, which is what you're doing because of your military background or any smart entrepreneurs doing because they understand is if you don't build the processes and the efficiencies in from day one with the employees who are going to start training other employees from the first employees you bring into your door, you've already started behind the eight ball, for lack of a better term, the pool queue. 
um, you're behind the eight ball and you can't shoot your other ball for anyone who doesn't know because I say a lot of sayings and people are like I've never heard that before I'm like oh, I'm <laughs> dating myself no one really plays pool anymore um, other than the people that are my age or older it seems like and um, but what I'm saying is like you don't want to have to go back and fix this it's not something no. you want to do, and I've had to do it in businesses or I've acquired businesses where I've had to go back and fix it, or you never want to be so far along where you have to go put processes into play and procedures or standards because if you're not doing it as you're building them, you've already lost. It's too hard. Think about your life. Do you ever? How often do you're like, oh, I need to go back and do that. How often do you get the time to go back and do it? It just doesn't happen, and it's true in business too. So I just want everyone to anchor that. Even if you're a really great individual like me who becomes obsessed about not things getting done and goes back and do them, I can tell you it's a massive waste of time and energy and efficiency and effectiveness when I just don't do it right the first time and just create the processes. And if the process is wrong or the procedure is wrong or we need to tweak, it's easier to tweak it once it's written, not go back and rewrite the whole thing, um, I agree. in my opinion. so I agree. And I think that a lot of times when so one thing that we experience constantly in the military is knee jerks. I despise knee jerk reactions. If something fails, then we need to really like it. The, the air force response anyway, um, is to immediately implement like Johnny hit his head. I have 11 stitches on my head. Cause I hit my head on an F 15 and bled all over the flight line. Somebody tried to like create a process change to stop me from hitting my head. The reason that I hit my head is because I ducked underneath the jet to grab a piece of equipment real fast and wasn't like I wasn't paying attention to situational awareness that, and that there was a UHF antenna that knocked me out. You know what I mean? And it's just sometimes it's just that simple. And um, and I try really, really hard now that I'm retired and have had time to like decompress and calm down and be a human being again, that like if we make a mistake, it is crucial to me to not make a knee-jerk policy change to try to overcorrect because that never works out in my experience. I'm going to comment on this too because you're just leaving. I'm, I keep calling. I've just started this saying it publicly, but I used to say it privately and in my companies all the time. And now that I've sort of in this new life and, and exploring and regrowing and, and rebuilding, there's lots of yummy nuggets of information to be snacked up here. And so I'm going to talk about this. Um, when we knee-jerk to a reaction to a pivot, we lose, we we overcorrect sometimes to your point. Like now we're gonna have an SOP over this. Okay, that's one. Number two is is when we knee jerk ourselves and don't let the standard play itself out or let the whole thing stand out, we're adjusting to part of it. We're not adjusting to the end. And one of the greatest advices I ever got, um, and my father told me this as a kid, although he doesn't implement it, which is interesting. It's one of those things your parents try to do that they don't do, that they're trying to instill in you because they know it's wrong in them. But yeah. um, is to sit in it. Sit in your mistakes for time. It doesn't need to be forever. And if you're in a flight line or you're trying to produce food, you've got to correct it and keep going. But I don't need to correct it with procedure or process or something that impacts my business until I really think about it. And I think about if I tweak this, am I going to negatively affect something else? Okay. And that's one of the things that, or how much time am I going to create? Or is this human error or is it a process error? And there's those things that we have to look at and processes can fix human error if they happen often, but a one-off isn't worth steering the ship 
into the iceberg, okay? I mean, I talk about the Titanic all the time. Go straight through the iceberg. Even if you know there's trouble ahead or you've made a mistake, you've already, the iceberg is in sight. You've got to go through it because if you turn your ship, you've now exposed a weakness because that's what happens when you pivot or you have a knee-jerk reaction. And you pivot, you leave exposure to yourself. You're no longer strong. You're no longer sticking to the processes and procedures that make you succeed because you're now pivoting in the middle of it. And it affect, you don't know what it's going to affect and you expose a weakness that could cause you your whole business unknowingly. And I've seen it happen to people where these things compound very quickly. And a once very run well-run business for like 22 years is out of business in 18 months, okay? Because the owners, and, and my father is one of these individuals, God bless him, and he's still around, but I'm going to say it, and my ex was another person who's like this. You would almost knee-jerk or react so hard to what was going on in the business and try to overcorrect something so hard in the moment and give it so much emotional attention that you literally are starting to not only it what was a match you've now lit poured gasoline on thrown it in the house told everyone there's a burning house convinced everyone to go running into the burning house with you and then started yelling and screaming that there's a burning house going on and there's nothing we can do because we have no water and we didn't bring the hoses in me and when we lit the match we had no idea we were going to need water okay but that's what happens when we do this, when we knee jerk our way through things. And in business, slow down. Everyone's in such a rush to make money. Everyone's in such a rush to do things. It compounds over a lifetime. And you, we talk about quality leading to money, but processes and procedures over a long period of time show character and integrity and build brands. And those, those processes, whether we realize it or not, are what we're there for. A lot of the time we're there for the quality food, but if they don't have good processes and procedures and things that keep them consistent and keep things in in a sp- going speedily or efficiently and effectively, then the, you lose those consumers. And it, it's it's very important. And I just like that you talked about it because I mean I think I sort of sparked it, but. I like that we brought it up and you were able to talk about it so eloquently, for lack of a better term, um, directly would be um, eloquently in that it was easily understood uh, for the audience uh, and for me. And I think that's one of the things that, again, we're talking about is clear, concise communication and clarity. Clarity is kindness. And um, when you need jerk, you don't do anyone around you a favor either. You hurt your team. When you when you go off the path, you're leaving your team. When you need jerk, you're leaving your team who is still following the process and procedures. So I think that that's the other part for everyone to understand is that while you think you're fixing something, you just left your team who's still doing things according to the plan, the game plan. If you're a sports team, you have plans, you have strategies, all of this stuff. If one person goes off renegade your your strategy is completely screwed up so i just want you know that's the other part of it and the um the businesses that we build are are stacking that are the businesses that we are going to build in the future are the results of stacking up these skills and processes and procedures and discipline like the discipline is the hardest part i've got to be disciplined not to knee-jerk react and um and so, it's very hard to do. Yes, it's so hard. And you don't know what you need to knee-jerk to and you don't need to not to sometimes. 
you yeah. know, because if your tire's blown, like obviously you got to pull over. You can't just keep going through it and get to the event. You got to stop and change the tire. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're driving down the road and your septic system or your drainage system gets blown off by someone else's tire, but the trailer's still running, you're going to be like, eh, I'm probably going to not pivot right now. We're going to still do the event. And right. so that's what I'm talking about, just to give everyone it in more direct terms. And it's not always that simple. There's a lot of gray area in there. I'm not saying it's always black and white, but this comes down to then your your character as the leader and the entrepreneur is... You know, what do you want to put your energy in? What you don't want to put your energy in? And is that if I knee jerk this, is it going to take me away from my overall strategy for my business? So let's talk about um, a few other things here. Like, um, actually, I'm going to go on to another question just because I, I want to lighten it up for a second. I saw on your sure. Instagram that you recently shaved your head. Um, even though you have beautiful hair, obviously, and as a person who has beautiful hair also, I'm like, dude, what happened there? So will you explain to me a little bit about that? Um, we, and I want to tie it into what you do uh, for your community also, because I think the two are tied together. So I, we got asked to be at St. Baldrick's, uh, and for those that don't know what St. Baldrick's is, um, it's a charity where uh, they raise money for cancer research by getting people to shave their heads. And... Um, the interesting thing is apparently I had a conversation with somebody that I don't remember. And the way that I really found out that we were doing this event is that I was at my friend's bar and there was a poster for the St. Baldrick's event and my logo was on the poster. And I was like, I guess we're doing St. Baldrick's. Apparently I, I had a conversation with somebody and I just forgot. But uh, so they did this big event at our local brewery um, and we raised uh, 19, I think 19,700 bucks for cancer research. And I shaved my head and, um, as soon as I decided to do it, I didn't stop getting haircuts. Um, and my hair grew to the longest that it had been since before I joined the military. And, uh, and I loved it. And I was super, <laughs> super, super sad to shave it. Um, and we, uh, when I started this company again, I knew that there was so much that I didn't know. And, um, so my go-to when I don't know something is to just start reading and to just start reading every book I can get my hands on. So, um, I read a book called Donation, which I thought was about pizza. And really, it was about philanthropy. And it was about two guys that started a, uh, a beer company um, in, a, I think, Idaho. I'm probably wrong. Um, it's somewhere else. Or no, like Michigan. Um, anyway, and they were determined that like one night a week, they were going to give money back to, um, to somebody, to charity. So philanthropy is a big part of what we do. And specifically, philanthropy like giving back to our community without letting anybody know that we do is the biggest part. Like we've shown up to the fire department on Thanksgiving and cooked 30 pizzas. Our fire department and police department are the same building and cooked 30 pizzas for those guys that are working. Um, and the deal was that they wouldn't post anything on social media, you know? Um, and we, every time I leave the gate, I try to give the, the security forces guys a couple of pizzas. And like, we give away a lot of pizzas because uh, I want people to also know that, like, I think that there's more to business than just money. And I understand that, like, I'm sure that there's people that are riddling right now, but um, I want to, it is more important to be kind than it is to be rich to me. So uh, we we do everything that we can to volunteer and to help out. 
wherever we can. I love this. And I'm assuming, uh, at least from my standpoint, that you're probably not having them posted on social media because you don't want a bunch of people showing up for free food. Well, I just, I it's not what we're doing. Yet. I'm not doing it for likes. I'm doing yeah. it because I need to, you know, like it makes me feel better as a human being. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I agree with that um, 100%. And I totally understand that um, the latter part, which is you're doing it to not get recognition, but doing it because it's the right thing to do. And yeah. so very cool. Um, and I agree with that. I've, I've had scenarios where something is slipped through and next thing you know, I'm giving away free food and I'm not even sure it's to the right people. And I've That's had wild. the opposite of it where um, someone tries to give me credit and it just turns out, you know, when we, when it becomes about giving us credit or we start taking credit for something, it takes away from us doing the right thing. And so I agree with you 100% on that. I think there's very good ways to do it. And I actually agree with this very much. I donate anonymously most of the time. Um, and, uh, especially personally, especially to the institutions or anything that I believe in just because I don't need the recognition. That's not why I'm doing it. I know a lot of people do do that and they want their names on buildings and stuff like that, but it's just not, that's not how I want my legacy to be known. I don't want my name to be on a building or, or whatever. That's not why I'm doing it. Um, and I think the things that, that give you the least amount of credit or have the least opportunity for credit are the things that actually will fulfill you the most in life and actually make the most impact, especially compounding impact that has ripples in the world that we live in is often done when you detach that you're not doing it for credit or to feel good. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do and, you know, feeling good uh, and fulfilled just becomes because you know you did the right thing and you helped out your fellow man or fellow animal or whatever it is. Um, so there's a lot of that. I And I agree that community and community service and giving back to your communities for any business is hugely important. Uh, and it's just how you go about it. I think certain companies go about putting it front and center. I think certain companies have done well in exposing it as part of their brand but also making it about the right thing as well and it depends on who you are it depends how big your company is and and how much things you are and who your customers are but i definitely think any entrepreneur that's starting out like getting marketing and advertising for your business by doing the right thing for your community is not i know a lot of people get it but word of mouth happens regardless just saying and if you're so attached to it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I'm not sure you fit an entrepreneurial attitude because we're giving away all the time as entrepreneurs. We pay people just like any corporation, but we're having to give more than just a corporation. We're investing in our employees. We're investing in their core values. We're investing in their homes, and we're always creating dreams big enough ourselves so all of their dreams and all of their family's dreams and all their kids and great grandkids can fit inside our dream. And that's what I'm saying here is when you do the right thing and you do the community, you'll start to realize that you have to do that in your business. So also, there's a way to market yourself and brand yourself as an individual and as a business. But if you keep the humility in mind, you know, and still have fun, it doesn't mean you can't be wild and do whatever and be who you are. But I am saying there's has to be a layer of being what I would call a renaissance man or a renaissance woman, which is you're well-rounded including giving to your community and not looking to get credit for it because that's not really giving. So, Agreed. And another big part of it is that I want, like I said, I have a seven-year-old. 
So my biggest job in this world is to teach my seven-year-old how to be a good human being and, um, and to do that from example. Absolutely. Is your seven-year-old involved in your business? I know seven's pretty young. It's like second grade-ish, I want to say. She's in, she's in the first grade. First uh, grade. Yes. Um, she, <laughs> she wants to be, you know what I mean? Like um, she wants to take orders and stuff like that. She's a little bit too young. Um, but we, when Brittany and I started this, that was one of the main reasons was that like we want to show, excuse me, want to show Scarlett how we that her parents go to work every day and that they work hard on a dream and that, um, you know, and what every aspect of what we do, she sees every aspect of the business, uh, not that she, that she cares about. She doesn't care about the business plan, but, um, she sees, you know, she goes with me to pick, to pick up food and like get food delivered and then to, to make dough and she's helped me make dough. And she's, you know, all of that, she's been a part of every step in the process to include handing a pizza out in the window. So uh, most of the time we go to some pretty fun places and she just runs around like a psycho. But um, but she will be one of those kids that grows up in her parents' restaurant. You know what I mean? As soon as she's old enough to, to really work, she's just not going to have a choice. So um, she, she will go to work. It's interesting you say this because I literally just had this conversation with something someone today, someone I'm consulting for and, and helping out with their concept. And there's this discussion over children or not wanting children in the business or whatever. I'm like, you do not, I can't think of a greater gift that you could give children than being entrepreneurs yourself and taking an entrepreneur journey and letting your kids learn business, uh, customer service, people, money, inventory, whatever. I benefited from my mom running a farm as a business and horseback riding and and horse shows and and raising horses and selling them and, and all that and my father being in the food business being an entrepreneur basically and then ultimately an entrepreneur himself in many ways although I would say even he stuck more even in his own business to the entrepreneur versus the entrepreneur and that's a little bit of the visionary thing like you have to be a great visionary to be an entrepreneur and build a business big and um, but part of it is not needing to take credit for everything. And that's what I'm talking about here. A visionary knows that the vision that he has benefits those around him. It doesn't just grow a business and make lots of money. Okay. Like the money is a secondary thing to what we're trying to grow impact. Ray Kroc, just so everyone knows, who acquired McDonald's from McDonald's Brothers, sole goal was to put a McDonald's in every city in the world. The profitability that he was trying to drive was solely because he wanted to go across the planet. He ultimately didn't care about the money or how much money McDonald's generated. He just wanted to be number one. He wanted to be the best at what they did, and he wanted everyone to look up to him, and he wanted to provide the best jobs and the best opportunities and create as much opportunity for individuals as he did. Everyone paints him as this go-getter guy, but often that ego or that thing that he's going after is that drive to be a better person, to live better things in your community. We can talk about the Ronald McDonald houses and all the characters that were created out of it. Hey, they invented Chicken McNuggets, just so everyone knows, and... Um, and, and all sorts of other things that we use in food service that really made America competitive. You know, two people that I can think of that we became competi really competitive in food because of McDonald's, I'm just saying, 
because of what they did, the McDonald's brothers did, and then Ray Kroc went across it. And then the other person is Henry Ford, because without him and the way he looked at things and did mass production and assembled things, pre-assembled things, and then final assembly on assembly line, we would have never won World War II. We couldn't build Kaiser, couldn't build his ships fast enough. DuPont would have never been able to get out the ammunitions. And these are they, they were titans, you know, or Kaiser was on his way to be a titan. But DuPonts were already titans well into that. But they didn't have mass production and the skill that, that Henry Ford had. And in the food service world, we never saw food as something that could be done quickly until the McDonald's did it and made it efficient and effective. So those are two people that I would say, two companies, two individuals, two groups of individuals, however you want to look at it, that truly changed the American landscape and the entrepreneurial world as we know it and really paved the road for America to dominate what was cars and manufacturing and even in food. And it's a shame that we're giving that away because even part of that, what we don't understand was part of the American capitalist mindset part of the American entrepreneur mindset, part of the American free market mindset that just, even though people mass produce stuff everywhere else and have copied our systems and Toyota went to lean production, we are still the best at it when we choose to be. But we 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 need to choose to be. And I think entrepreneurs, like we're talking about here with Nick is, which I, I'm, I haven't said his name a few times because Nick Ward is actually someone I played soccer with growing up. Um, which feels like I'm going back in time when I say it. I'm like putting someone else's face on your face. And it's like um, in my head, which is a little weird because uh, I know we didn't go in the military. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up, man. And, um, and um, but I just think that the, the world and what we're looking at in, in entrepreneurs, and I'm trying to get through to everyone, is there there's an ingenuity that happens in the world and entrepreneurship and in the United States. And if we choose to chase something, it's there. And I think that you're doing that. I think that you are you have the right mindset and you're looking at it with your family and that compounding effect on your family creates, you know, Henry Ford's son, which died during World War II, but he basically had the idea to put Ford into airplanes. And if Ford hadn't got into airplanes and hadn't built a mile long Ford factory to build airplanes, like out of a whim, even though it failed, it failed like for 20 years in a row, it was non-profitable. But because they still stuck it out and believed in it, it became a powerhouse for the U.S. to build planes in there also. And so I just, like, these are things that we don't always realize what we're doing that can have major impact. And the small things that we're doing, we have no idea what could lead from. We just need to keep going forward. So when it comes to family businesses or going into the entrepreneurial field, you can just look. I think there was Henry Ford III who created the Ford GT and, and created a whole other thing in the automobile industry and and all of these things. And so like we just have to look at, at what goes on there and what the generations in McDonald's have done since the original franchisees have done and what their children have done. And okay, there used to be just a hamburger called Speedy that used to be the mascot. Now they have how many mascots that have had how much impact on kids. So I just think that that's, I'm using as example, I know it's not the healthiest food, guys, I get it. And, and but what I'm trying to demonstrate to everyone is that impact is made even though we don't know it. And if we do the right things, we do it honestly, and we do it to better people's lives, the money is a secondary thing. 
and we shouldn't worry about how much money our kids make or what they're going to do. We should worry about the skills they have to be able to survive or make their own money and not have to rely on someone else if they should choose to. Because I think the biggest weakness that we have is always depending on someone else. I'm not saying to not go learn from other people or go work at other companies to get exposure, but I'm saying ultimately when we have the freedom to make our own choices, to build our own businesses, to give our family that compounding legacy that I'm talking about because it compounds in the next generation. She's not just going to do it as I did it. She's going to probably do it four times to five times to 10 times to maybe in 20 times better than I do. You know, um, if it were a daughter or a son, I just used daughter just because I have two stepdaughters. Um, <coughs> so that's what I'm saying. I try to always compound my knowledge into them, not through teaching it, but also them catching it, uh, mainly catching it because I don't think things are really taught. I think they're caught. And, um, it depends on the teacher and it depends if they, they throw it in a way that's catchable. And just as an example, so I went on a big commentary there, um, Nick, so I apologize. What? Let's talk about leadership skills. You've been in the military. You've obviously spent a lot of time in the military. You you had a lot of leadership that went on in chaos and controlled chaos that we talked about. And now you're leading a business and a group of employees. Like, what would you say like the most important leadership characteristics are of a leader, and what are the ones that you're trying to always focus on to to be a good example for your family and your business? I think ability is hands down the most important thing. Um, like when it comes to leadership. You, you have to check your ego at the door. And I've worked for a lot of egocentric uh, leaders and they were the hands down the worst. Um, and the guys that, uh, that were, I worked for a guy that was meek. Like there's a difference between humility and ego. Like you need to be confident, but not, not have an ego, like check your ego at the door, but be confident in your ability to, to accomplish the mission or to do whatever it is that you're doing. Worked for a guy that like, wasn't very good at what he did. He got promoted all the way to the top just because he used it as like a vendetta to get back at everybody and then made everybody's life miserable once he got there. Um, so that is, and then his arrogance rippled off of that. Um, and the best leaders I've ever had, the hands down, the best person I ever worked for, her name is Stacy Ferguson. She was my commander at Beale Air Force Base. Um, and she I would go to her and say, this is what I would want. This is what I want to do. And she would say, go do it. There was no, there was no follow-up. There was no, I need a plan. I need to see this in triplicate. I need a, you know, a detailed synopsis of how you're going to get here from here to there. And like the five whys, none of that. She just said, I trust you. You're the person that I picked to do this job, execute. And then she would come back every couple of months and find out how we were doing. I would go to her and, and say, this is what we've done. This is how we've improved. This is what I want to do next. And she would go, I trust you go. And I think trust is something that is significantly undervalued in leadership. Um, and that's, that's kind of number one. And number two, like if you want to progress in my company, you have to train yourself out of a job. One of the, the hardest th lessons that I learned and the, the biggest culture shocks to me when I left the military is that in the civilian sector, people feel like they have to hold on to their, knowledge and they have to hold on to their little span of control, their little area of control. Otherwise they make themselves irrelevant and they are susceptible to getting fired. And in the military, you can't get fired. Like you have to screw up pretty bad in order to get fired. So we are taught to train yourself out of a job. You can't move up until the next person that's going to take over for you 
can do your job as well as you can. And then you make yourself dispensable to, to be brought to the next level. And, um, and excuse me, honestly, that's what kind of what I'm going through right now with myself is I don't, you know, we're trying to move into a, a brick and mortar and, um, my natural battle rhythm because of the military is every year you kind of move into another position and every three years you move. So we've been in North Carolina for three and a half years. So my body's like, bro, it's time to move. Our business has been open for almost a year. So my body's like, bro, it's time to get a new job. So, um, I want to explore other avenues and I'm working on right now, training our girls to do and I don't mean girls negatively training our staff to do what I do as well as I do it so that I can leave. And I don't have to be a part of the truck every day. And I don't have to be involved in day-to-day operations. And I can go, like, I want to get my real estate license. I've been an airbrush artist for 25 years. I want to get my pilot's license. I would still like to go work on general aviation airplanes once in a while. Like I have a lot of other interests and I would like to grow an airplane, you know, an aircraft maintenance company as well someday. And I can't do that if I'm stuck on the truck. So you and I are very similar humans, although I didn't go in the military, but there is something very similar about that mindset that you have, because I, everything's a stepping stone for me and everything has its expiration date of it's time for me to move forward. And I better find someone who can do it, not because I'm not interested in it anymore, because it's time to give someone else the opportunity uh, to learn, to grow, to whatever. And to me, that's a God thing. Like God we are here to give birth to other humans. It's why we're created and, and grow the population and all that stuff. And, and, and then, you know, always leave the generation after us better than we were. And so doing that is being able to pass this torch and this education and this knowledge and also go seek more so you can pass that on. It's a constant seeking. And I'm a lot like you. I, I learn a lot of things. Like there's just so much random stuff. And I, and you know, it's like whether it's horses or whether it's food or whether it's now media or getting into doing television now that I'm, I'm working on or I'm getting into clothing lines and like all these are all things that I want to do. I even got this rattling thing in my head about, you know, music and the music business and songwriters and 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 musicians and, and giving them a better way. And, and how do we make what's going on in the music business better and, and stuff like that? So. I don't know. These are things that just stick in my head all because I was once a food entrepreneur or still am, I guess. Um, I am a food entrepreneur. I'm just not only a food entrepreneur, I guess what I'm saying, actually, not guess. I know it's what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, you have to be careful with that. Because you say you guess as a leader, so that leaves a whole oh, oh, All of a sudden, I turned the Titanic and the iceberg's heading towards me. Exactly. And, um, so I know that it is what I am, and there's no there's no um, frailty in my armor. There, it's it's. I know who I am. I know what my mindset is. I know how I function. I know that I can master things very quickly because that's who I am, and I will spend a lot of time reading and doing whatever I can. And once I've got it, and I can train someone, which is usually for me, this I will tell you that it always. If I really master something, I have to find three people. It's not one or two. I have to be able to prepare to hire three people. And it's interesting that you have that right now because I've always felt that way. Like everyone's like, oh, hire your first person. Well, for me, it always has to be in threes. And I got to figure out how to take on three because it's going to take three people just to handle the work level, the efficiency level that Justin has, number one. But two, it's going to take three people because 
one person doing what I did, they're going to max out. They're not going to have the ability to create more or create new ideas or hear the customers and clients to new ideas and be the creative part of the business that I was. So if you have three people and they all necessarily don't have enough to do right away, but because of their free time, you give them things to do that can grow the business that you necessarily didn't have time to do while you were growing it. And then they get to own those and then they own it and then they get to teach it to someone and it's theirs in your business business in your culture and obviously you're overseeing and you inspect what you expect but for sure it's like that and so that's pretty cool that you said that i love that because it sucks to do it by yourself right now i do it oh, by I myself see. my my wife is uh, a power administrator and helps where she can with you know emails and messages and all that stuff but i do you know I, for this past year i've done most of it by myself and it's awful so uh, we're really trying to, to get that torch passed and uh, so I can just move on to the next thing. Awesome. I have a couple more questions for you. I'm definitely going to have you guys back on the podcast as you go in the brick and mortar and we can talk about that. So I would definitely be reaching out to you again to discuss that as you, you take that venture on um, and, and stuff like that. So here's one of my two last questions. Like, if you could go back and start over again, um, I know we talked about the ovens. What are some of the things that you've learned from um, in the food business that maybe you didn't know before that you wish you knew a year ago when you started? I probably would have went to school first. I would have, before I started the truck, went to Pizza University first because our having someone that's made, you know, 800,000 pizzas over his lifetime or, or whatever, you know, Julio made has made. Um, and getting that knowledge is like, it took us into the atmosphere. Like it was a, a night and day difference in the way that our food tasted. And you know, the, um, the, the process of, of making that. And I use everything that I learned from pizza university every day. I, uh, I'm so thankful to have found them. Um, and Mara Forney puts on a great, like pizza university is owned by Mara Forney pizza ovens and they put on a great school. Um, and those guys really, really kind of teach you the very basics of Neapolitan pizza. Number two, um, we tried to, to cut corners and save money and like find a truck and outfit it ourselves. I should, we, we, if I had to do over again, I would just go to a company that makes wood fired pizza oven trailers and buy one from them. And I would have spent more money to do it then because I've since spent the money plus more because everything is broken all the time. And that's a, a, the number one rule that I found it in small business ownership is that everything is always broken. And I spend my life fixing absolutely everything all the time. And it would have been easier and cheaper to just buy a more expensive product in the beginning than to try to like piecemeal all these things together. So, I agree with um, you, and, actually. You know, and the the as far as being in the food industry, I think everybody in the food industry is great. You know what I mean? Like, um, we got lucky with our food distribu dist distribution company, and, like, our rep is great. Um, our food truck family is fantastic, and, like, uh, we really, really enjoy everybody that we deal with. Amazing. If you could um, share uh, entrepreneurial leadership, anything that you feel experienced from the military to the 
the audience the there's a lot of audience that listens in they're you know trying to get in the entrepreneur space or they're trying to be leaders in the entrepreneur space um, and grow their businesses what advice would you have for them based on your history and background uh i man I, that's a tough question just be terrified it's terrifying it's it's really 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 easy to just have a job and to go somewhere for 40 hours a week and come home and have a work-life balance and like spend time with your family. It's really, really easy to do that. It is difficult and terrifying to put in 60 to 80 to sometimes hundred hours a week in this thing that you don't know is going to go forward and could blow up in your face at any time. And to find people that support you. So one there's a guy named Anthony Eby who was a fighter pilot that I worked with in, in the 336th. The day that we had to like sign the the let the paperwork for the loan to to move all this forward, I was gonna back out. I was in the building and like I was like, dude, I can't do it. I'm just gonna back out. I'm just gonna get a job, blah, blah, blah. And this guy said, Nick, you make an amazing pizza. Like you're you have the right attitude, you're the right guy, blah, blah, blah. And talk me off the cliff and back into it. So if you can surround yourself with people that believe in your mission and your vision um, and can push you forward on those days that you have a hard time pushing yourself because it's absolutely going to happen. Um, I'm sure that there's guys like, you know, everybody knows Jocko and, and guys like that, that, you know, wake up at three 30 in the morning and push themselves and work out. And that's just in them. Well, it's not in me to do that. And there's days where it's really, really difficult to just put one foot in front of the other and slog through the grind because the fun part is building the business and picking the name and building the menu. And we're going to do this and that. And then the hard part is eight months later when you're like, dude, if I got to make another batch of dough, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off a cliff. You know what I mean? But knowing that you have to and, and finding people that help keep you excited about what you're doing and, um, and moving forward, you know what I mean? Like my tribe is everything to me. Yeah, I know. And uh, just so audience, I'm going to drop this for a second. Um, Jocko Willink is who he's referring to. Uh, he's written the book Extreme Ownership and two other books, which I've read, but I can't remember the names off the top of my head. Um, the first one was Extreme Ownership. It had huge impact on me. Um, and so did the other two. It's just I can't remember the names for some reason. Um, but either way, um, he's the individual who basically took years of military experience in, in leadership positions and actually is literally translated into books and consulting and podcasts about leadership, not only in entrepreneurship, but I would say an overall um, leadership and business mindset. And it obviously that extreme ownership is what we're talking about on here is that I've got to be so humble that I'm going to own the wrongdoing. I'm not going to let my ego blame someone else for it. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. My ego blames others. It's when I become so righteous that I do it in spite of people. But humility is I do it for people. I do it for the benefit. I do it for history or for the future legacy. You know, what is that? I'm trying to make an impact. Okay. And I'm trying to do it in the right way. I'm not talking about like, let's put a giant statue up of me. That's just like spending money. I'm talking about actually going in the community and doing something and having it echo years after. I'm talking about like Martin Luther King, Jesus, you know, uh, Socrates. There's a lot of people out here who have given a lot of themselves to build legacies that have lasted hundreds of years if not thousands of years so 
those are the type of things that I'm talking about. How much are we willing to give? What are we trying to do with it? And is it in the form of trying to help individuals? And in today's world in the capitalist society, when you do that, truly do that the right way, provide solutions, have humility, lead without an ego, the money comes in our society. The United States is one of the greatest places on earth. It will reward you for doing the wrong thing. It's short-lived and you're punished for it. Like it doesn't last forever and you'll if you don't change your ways, you won't get that money again. But it's also one of the greatest countries in that if you continue to do the right thing and you lead the right way and you holistically in your life have a visionary thread of what becomes your character or your businesses or the life that you want to have when you die, that you're weaving. That's why I call it a visionary thread. You're weaving with your vision what you want constantly every day. You can have greatness. You can have, be Mar- you can have Martin Luther King impact. You just don't know if you don't try. And I think leadership is that. But also in today's world, money comes with that type of leadership in the United States. We reward doing the right thing. People don't realize it because everyone here also has the freedom to do the wrong thing or take shortcuts. But when we take the long, hard grind, you become an entrepreneur. As as Nick said, it's hard. It's terrible. You're alone all the time. But it's the right thing to do by the world to keep growing. It's the right thing to lead by example and show people we need to be constantly be entrepreneurs. And we need to constantly be uh, fighting for freedom in the, in the form of capitalism and in the form of entrepreneurism. Because entrepreneurism and capitalism is liberty, is freedom also. It's not only our military and our military men that should carry the weight of fighting for our country on their backs all the time or protecting our country. We do it as entrepreneurs and capitalists also. We push freedom and we push uh, liberty and we push justice and we push um, independence more than any other group. It's who we are. We're always trying to figure out ways to do things better or, or improve upon things. And we're often the first to try to, to grow the individuals around us, especially positively to have impact also because we don't want their lives to be worth nothing either. So um, Nick, I'll, I, I know I had asked my questions, but do you want to say anything on what I just said? Just that like with, when you build a business, uh, it's important too, that like all, all of my successes are owned by my employees and all of my failures are owned by me. So, um, when we succeed, it's all because it's because our, like the, I cannot do that by myself. My truck is not laid out to, I can't physically operate it with one person in any kind of efficiency. So because of that, you know what I mean? Every time that we have this massive success, it's because the girls helped me. And every time that we have a fail, you know, I own on that same token, I own every process. So every single time that there's a failure in a process, uh, it is, it is on me. But, uh, and it's, it's really, my favorite thing about it is that it's, it's a journey and it's like different every day. You know what I mean? And, um, and then I used to hate it when I would like send a, you know, a letter up in the Air Force and somebody would send it back and say it's got the wrong letterhead. Like, I don't have to deal with that. You know, bureaucracy is cut to a minimum. Yeah, We're I able to just make pizza. Yeah, so, and, I, and I love what you said because I think it's so true. Like I've often, people are like, it was 100% of the employee's fault. And I'm like, yeah, no, but not. you're their manager. Okay, your so fault. you're not setting them up to succeed if you think it's 100% their fault. And yep. if if... And if you think it's not 
you're you're not seeing the fault in yours. You're not seeing that the fault is also in me as your leader that I didn't set you up to succeed so you could help this individual succeed and I'm not doing my job as the leader. So at the end of it, if you want to talk about 100% whose fault it is, it is mine as the leader. And Agreed. like, and that's the thing. And, and getting individuals in today's world to not blame or, or, or and not take responsibility because they're afraid of getting fired or a bad reputation. But yet amongst all of it, the individuals, in spite of this mindset that are rising up in the world, are the ones who are taking, actually taking the blame, for lack of a better term. They're, they're owning it as their leadership skill, and they understand that there's always a part to be played to do things better. And if they own that, then they own the entrepreneurial ingenuity to go provide solutions and grow people. Like that person that may have made the mistake that, that, that ultimately is my fault could possibly grow into an individual that maybe they don't make this mistake again, but maybe there's some skill that we instill in them in that mistake that then gets passed down to their kid that echoes generations. And I, and I'm just going to use this as an example before we go. If you look at the AA programs in the United States, in particular, this is where it started. There's a lot of second and third generation children who have come out of those rooms or who parents were in the room and maybe they fixed it. But there's this weird influence of the principles that are in AA, not just the steps, but there's this whole set of principles that are in there and a way to live. And it's like a guide of living. Okay. And they come out because of their parents' influence with these principles. And it's so interesting interesting to see the impact they're having at the world. These individuals, not like entrepreneurs who have come maybe out of their parents being busy, these entrepreneur, these individuals are coming out in the world of mental health. They're coming out in the world of like, how do I become a better motivational, inspirational speaker and applying these principles to the world as whole, not this those with a spiritual malady or an issue or alcoholism or whatever it is. It's, hey, you can be a normally functioning person, but if you apply these principles, you can become a superhero. And just because Ed Millett is one of my mentors and I'm in the Arate Syndicate and his father was an alcoholic, which he talks about and passed on to him. He's almost a billionaire by this point, and the amount of lives that he is influenced by doing the right thing and living by those principles and passing them on to millions upon millions of people is significant. So I'm going to leave everyone that these principles, the core values, the morals and ethics, whatever you want to call them, that you gain the integrity, the character that you build, it matters in life life skills that we can learn from those around us or our family members that are the good ones can be can compounded into great ripple effects that build legacies, not only for your own family, but for communities, for nations, and maybe even this entire planet one day or the world or the universe as we have to leave it because we overpopulate it. So I'm going to leave everyone with that. Thank you, Nick, for coming on the show. Will you tell everyone where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, my so Bricks WF Pizza Company or Pizza Co is our Instagram handle. Uh, we're on Facebook at Bricks Wood Fire Pizza Company. My personal um, Instagram page is uh, Nick underscore Oddrod, and like where it's, I post a bunch of art and a bunch of you know like daily life stuff. Um, and that's it. And just come see us if you guys. If anybody's ever in Eastern North Carolina, we have a, we live in a great little town called Goldsboro. Um, that has a thriving downtown uh, and a really, really great community. So we'd love to see you. 
Well, this uh, the episodes keep getting better. I keep being like, oh, this is the best one yet. This is the best one yet. I must be. I'm like on a I, whatever energy that's going on right now. It's one of the things we I talk about this momentum. I'm loving it. I love this episode, Nick. I really appreciate you. you coming on uh, again. And the audience, thank you guys for listening in. The support, the sharing. The feedback, I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys supporting the entrepreneurs, especially the ones you guys are following already that come on here and giving them great reviews and comments on their episodes across all the platforms. Uh, that helps out a lot. It helps their episodes get out there and their businesses as well. And when you're building a brand and you're an entrepreneur and at the beginning stages, people want to know who's behind the scenes and who's the actual entrepreneur that they're getting it from. There's a lot of transparency going on in this world. So I think that that's really cool as well. So Again, Nick, thank you for coming on. Again, everyone in the audience, thank you again. If you want to find us, we're on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. And if you want to listen to us, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you're hungry and you're in one of the areas where you can find these these individuals that are on the podcast, I'm pretty sure most of them might be on DoorDash. Try DoorDash to get your orders. If they're a food truck, go to their website or food trailer. Uh, or Instagram or social media and you can find where to locate them or where they're at on their next uh, venture or commitment or brewery or wherever uh, they may be. So there's all sorts of ways to find them. Everyone asks how you find everyone or how you get their food or whatever. Um, It depends on the individual, but a lot of them do use delivery services and a lot of the food trucks and food trailers post schedules all the time. So that's where you can find them. So again, thank you everyone for listening in and we're out.